Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity of being here this evening. We pray that you bless our time uh, together around your word now. I pray, Lord, that you would empower me through the Spirit and give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. That, Lord, it would be indeed your words this evening. It would be your thoughts. Uh, That, Lord, you would uh, bless us and refresh us through your word this evening. And may, Lord, you be honored and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, chapter 7 begins almost 100 years after chapter 6. And, of course, in chapter 6, we saw God's patience, uh, his long-suffering had come to an end. It had run out, uh, his long-suffering towards man. And so God had determined that he was going to judge mankind. He was going to bring judgment upon the earth and destroy man because of their great wickedness. And the judgment was going to come in the, in the form of a worldwide flood. And we saw that there in chapter 6, verse 17, where we read, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. And so God had made it clear to know that this was the form of uh, judgment. It was going to be in the form of a worldwide flood. There was nowhere to run. There was nowhere to hide to escape the judgment. But of course, as we saw there in chapter 6, God in his grace provided a way to escape, provided a, a way of salvation. And Noah, God's faithful servant, is the one who's chosen to, to build the ark. He's given the plans by God to build the ark, which would be able to save himself, his family, and indeed all the animals that entered in. And we looked at the ark last week in Uh, great detail and we saw that it was perfectly designed by God. We talked about how it was sufficient in size for all who would enter in. It was a seaworthy vessel to protect them from the judgment and to keep them safe through the judgment, providing a covering for them. And since receiving these instructions from God, Noah has been faithfully preparing. As I said, it's basically a hundred years or so. It's gone by and he's been faithfully preparing during that time, building the ark and also, of course, preaching unto the people. As we, we said in, in Peter in the New Testament, it says that he was a preacher of righteousness. And so he spent this time preparing, uh, building the ark as God instructed and preaching to the people, warning them of this coming judgment. And now with chapter 7, we immediately see that the day of God's judgment has now arrived. The day that God had warned them about has now come. You know, the 120 years that was mentioned back in chapter 6, verse 3, those 120 years is now up. Okay, chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Remember, we looked at this verse, we talked about how God said, you know, that in 120 years' time, judgment was going to come. And so now, as chapter 7 begins, that time's up. Well, it also means that Methuselah is on his deathbed, or perhaps Methuselah has just died. Because again, Methuselah, his name, as we saw, means when he dies, it comes. When he dies, the judgments. And so Methuselah is either dead or he's on his deathbed about to die. And so these warnings that God has given, they've come to an end now, haven't they? Okay? The time frame God gave them, that time is now up. And now, once again, we see God speak 
to his servant Noah and he tells him to enter into the ark because the day of judgment has arrived. And so this evening we want to consider the arrival of God's judgment. And first of all this evening we see God's final call. God's final call. Let's just look again at verse 1. It says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. You know, after years of preparation, years of waiting, the time had arrived. The ark was finished. You know, they put the finishing touches on it. It was now ready uh, in time as God had directed. And all that now remained was for God to tell Noah, enter in, the time's arrived. And as chapter 7 begins, we see that that time has come. God issues the boarding call, if you like, doesn't he? He tells Noah and his family now to get on board the ark. And this is God's final call to mankind. You know, if you like, it's God's final gracious warning to enter in before the judgment comes. In verse 1, as we just read there, we see God says to Noah, he says, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Now, we're, we're reminded here again why it is that God chose Noah. We're reminded of the fact that uh, God chose to show grace to Noah because he was righteous. And we talked about how that's not talk, talking about him being a, a good person. That's not why God chose him. That's not why God showed him grace. It was because of his faith. It was his faith in God. It was his faith in God that meant that he was declared righteous in the eyes of God and indeed in the eyes of others. Now Noah had demonstrated that faith over the past hundred or so years as he's built the ark, as he's preached righteousness in obedience to God's instructions. And now God issues the call for Noah and his house to come into the ark. You know, the wording there is, is significant because the Lord says to Noah, he says, come into the ark. He doesn't say go into the ark. He says, come, come into the ark. It's significant, isn't it? Because you see, God is telling Noah to join him in the ark. He's telling Noah, join me in the ark, Noah. Come inside where I will keep you safe. You see, God was going to be with them through this, wasn't he? Okay, God was going to be with them inside the ark, protecting them, watching over them. Although outside of the ark, God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth with devastating fury, inside the ark, they would be safe with their God. Safe with God. He would be with them. He would protect them. And so God issues the call now for Noah to enter in by faith. You know, we touched on it last week. He had to act in faith by building the ark, and he had to act in faith entering into the ark when the time came. And, and this is what we're talking about here. God issues the call, and Noah has to act in faith, trusting his God, and enter in to the ark. You know, it's not just Noah who has to act in faith here, is it? Also, his family has to act in faith as individuals. You see in verse 1 there, it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. It says, thy house. You know, Noah's house wasn't going to be saved unless they as individuals made the decision to get on board the ark. They had to act in faith as well, didn't they? 
Okay, just because Noah went on board, that didn't save his sons and their wives, didn't save his wife. They had to act as individuals. They had to make a decision themselves to enter into the ark. They had to turn their back on the world that they knew, the only world they knew, with all of its sin and its pleasure, and they had to, in faith, enter in trusting in God, believing that the judgment was coming, believing that you know, the, the preaching of their father was the truth. They had to act in faith, exercise a personal faith to be saved. You know, in this we see an important truth, don't we, concerning salvation. You know, it's a personal, individual decision. You know, we must all as individuals place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. You know, a household is not saved just because dad gets saved or because mum gets saved. We all as, fa- as individuals need to place our faith and trust in Christ. It's an important truth. It's an important truth for young people to understand that they have to make an individual decision themselves. It's, it doesn't matter what mum and dad believe, it's up to them to place their faith and trust in Christ and enter in by faith to be saved, just like Noah here and his house. And then we read on in verse 2 and 3 and we see the Lord tells Noah it's time also to get the animals on board the ark. Let's read verse 2 and 3. It says, Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. And so God now tells Noah it's time to get the animals on board as well and get them settled, get them into their individual rooms or as we saw last week, that's the Hebrew word nest. Okay, get them into their own nests, their own pens, ready for uh, the journey, if you like, ready for the flood to come. And as we said last week, there's plenty of room on board, isn't there? Plenty of room for all the different kinds of animals uh, on board with room to spare. So there's plenty of room also for the food and Nari's family, room for exercise as well. There's room on board the ark. And of course, these animals, Noah hasn't had to go fetch them. God has brought them to him. It would have been an amazing sight, wouldn't it? Okay, they've come to him. And Noah now has the responsibility of getting them on board. That's his job, to take them on board and to get them all settled and sorted before the flood comes. You know, it's here that we first learn of these extra clean animals as well. We touched on it last week, okay? but this is where we first read of them, the extra clean animals, the seven clean animals, uh, and then also the seven birds as well. Okay? These are the extra animals that are taken on board. As we said last week, these clean animals are most likely those that are suitable for domestication and also for sacrifice unto God. And so taking of, of seven of each of these I mean, it means that they multiply quicker, doesn't it? Okay, as they come off the ark, you've got seven of each of these. Well, it means they're going to reproduce a lot faster. They're going to repopulate the earth a lot quicker. But it also means there's a greater variety of genetic factors there too, isn't there? There's a greater gene pool, okay, to produce a larger uh, genetic difference, I guess, between them all. But you know, the seventh of each of these animals seems also to be intended to be used as a sacrifice, And we see that in chapter 8, verse 20, as they exit the ark. Chapter 8, verse 20. It says, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, 
and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And so it seemed that the seventh, the odd one out, is used as a sacrifice from each of these clean animals here. Uh, A sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise to God once they exit the ark uh, safely after the judgments. And so with this call now issued to enter in and to get the animals on board and get them all sorted, God now tells Noah an interesting thing. He says, Noah, you've got seven days. Seven days to make these necessary preparations. Verse 4, For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. That's interesting, isn't it? God's already given man plenty of time. He gave them the whole life of Methuselah. He's given them that 120 years of warning. And now God gives them what? Another seven days. Another seven days. Yet again we see the grace and the mercy of God. Don't we? The grace and mercy of our God. He gives mankind another seven days in which they can repent, in which they can acknowledge their sin and enter in by faith. Another week to respond. You know, Noah, he has to use this time to get everything ready. You know, he's preparing, he's getting the animals on board, he's making sure the food is correctly stowed, and he's also, of course, preaching, okay, and teaching. He's, he's using this time wisely, these last seven days. You think of everybody watching this take place. They're seeing the animals all line up, and they're all getting on board. They're seeing Noah make preparations, they're hearing Noah. It's their last chance, isn't it? It's seven days for them to make a decision. And as we see, Noah uses this time wisely uh, as God has instructed him to. Look in verse 5, it says, And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. They went in two by two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And so Noah obeys. He obeys his command from God once again. He uses these seven days wisely, getting everything ready and entering in. You know, God's final call has been issued, hasn't it? Okay, this is God's final call. Seven days is all that's left. You know, now was the time to enter in. Not just for Noah and his family, but of course for anyone else who would repent. We know that no one does. But this is the final chance to enter in or be destroyed in the judgment. You know, the same could be said today, couldn't it? God's call for salvation has been issued. And we are in the last days. We are getting closer and closer to the return of Christ. Time is fast running out for men to enter in. It's fast running out for men to to place their faith and trust in Christ and be saved from the judgment to come. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says that God is not slack concerning His promise. Judgment will come. Let's go over there. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And let's read from verse 3. 2 Peter 3 and verse 3. It says this. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that, that, sorry, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned. Uh, you know, God's word's very clear. God's not slack concerning his promise. God hasn't forgotten. God is just being patient. God is being long-suffering to us. He's holding off so that more might be saved, so that more might enter in. You know, God's call has been issued, but and time is running out. Now, I was thinking about it as believers. We need to use these last days wisely, don't we? Just like Noah. He had seven days. Well, we've got, we're in the final days too, and we need to use this time wisely. Not only preparing ourselves for his return, but also seeking to tell others before it's too late. Before their, their chance is over. Use the time wisely. God's call, final call, has been issued. We see secondly now, not only God's final call, we see secondly that God shuts the door. God shuts the door. Let's go back to Genesis chapter six, uh, 7. Sorry, Genesis 6. Said at the end. Genesis 7. Genesis 7. And read from verse 10. It says, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now God's final call has been issued, and now the seven days is up. Okay, God gave that final call. The seven days have gone by. Noah's been preparing. He's got everything ready. He's been preaching and teaching as well. That seven days is now up. God's final period of grace has come to an end. And the day has arrived for God's wrath to be poured out upon the earth. And again, it's reiterated for us in verse 13 to 16, as we just read. It's reiterated for us that Noah and his family, they've obeyed those instructions from God. Okay, they've entered in. They've got the animals on board and stowed and ready. In verse 13, it says, In the selfsame day entered Noah, Shem, and Ham, and Japheth. Those words, selfsame day, they indicate that the final preparations were completed 
in the day the flood came, okay? They used the time wisely. They used those seven days. They made all the preparations. They'd entered in that self-same day as the flood begins. You know, they're inside when the judgment comes. They're waiting for the judgments. And before anything else, before it all starts, God shuts the door. We saw that at the end of verse 16 there. It says, and the Lord shut him in. Noah and his family and all the animals, they're inside the ark, they're safe on board, and God then closes the door, seals it shut. Now, there are a couple of things that we note here with this. The first, most obviously, is that with God shutting the door, those inside now are safe, aren't they? And they are secure. They can't get back out, if you like. They're safe. They're secure inside from all that's happening on the outside. They're protected. But, you know, the other thing we note here is that the door to the ark is now shut for anybody else to enter in. The door's closed, isn't it? The time is past. The, the chance is gone. The time of salvation has passed. You know, God's grace, God's long-suffering towards man, you know, it lasted for a very long time, didn't it? But now it's finally come to an end and the door is shut and all those who failed to enter in by faith, they're now stuck on the outside and they're going to suffer under the wrath of God. They're going to perish. There was only one way of salvation and there was only one door into that way of salvation. But all who didn't enter in would now perish. The door was shut. The, the way was closed, if you like. The time was over. Now, once again, there's a parallel with our salvation in Christ Jesus, isn't there? Now, there is only one way of salvation. There's only one way to spend eternity with him to escape the judgment of hell. And that is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. And there's only one door, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by faith. John 10 verse 7, Christ said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Christ is the door. There's no other way. He can't go around the other side. He can't climb up and get in. There is only one door. There's only one way to be saved. And only those who enter in by faith will be saved from the judgment to come. And they will be safe and secure inside, won't they? Safe and secure. Now in John 10, 28, it says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Those who have entered in are safe. They're secure. No man can pluck them out. We can't get out. We're safe and secure. And there's no other way to enter in and be saved than by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to John, John chapter 3. I know we know this verse. John 3. John 3 in verse, verse 18. Of course, before this, you've got verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be, might be saved. And then verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those who believe, those who enter in are not condemned, but those who haven't believed are condemned already. They're going to suffer the judgments. If we don't enter in by faith, we will come under the judgment of God, the wrath of God. You know, right now, the way of salvation is open for all, isn't it? The door is wide open. The way of salvation is there for all to enter in. 
by faith anyone may be saved. But the day is coming when that door will close, if you like. The time will be over, the time will pass. And mankind's time will run out. That might be as an individual, you know, coming to the end of your life and your time runs out. Or it might be the return of Christ and his judgment upon the earth and time runs out for all mankind. And then man will stand before God and face the judgments. You know, that was the case here in Genesis chapter 7, wasn't it? The time had run out, the door now is closed, the door is shut, and God's judgment now would come. You can imagine those outside, some of them banging on the door as the rain begins. But it was too late. God's final call had come, and God now had shut the door. So we see thirdly that God's judgment comes. God's judgment comes. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 7. God's judgment comes. Comes. Look in verse 10 again, which we sort of read before. It says, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. The time of God's judgment has come. God's wrath is now poured out upon the earth in the form of a flood. In verse 11, we're given the date, aren't we? Given the date of the flood. When it begins, it says that Noah is 600 years old, and it's the 17th day of the second month. We're given an exact day. Now, we can't be sure of the calendar that's in use. And so we, we can't make a call and say, oh, it's this date of this particular month, because we're not sure what calendar was being used. Yes, you might say, well, what's the point of giving us this information then? Well, the point is that it's on this particular day in fulfillment of God's prophecy that it comes to pass, exactly as God said. That's the point. Okay, In God's timing, on this exact day, and you think about it, this is after Methuselah has died, this is after those 120 years, this is after the seven days, exactly as God said, it comes. That's the point here, isn't it? Okay, exactly as God said, it comes. And on this day, the fountains of the great deep are broken up and the windows of heaven are opened, as we read there in verse 11. And then it continues to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And what we learn here is that there are two sources of water for this flood. Two sources of water. And back in Genesis chapter 1, Uh, we see that God divided the waters into two. Let's go back there, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 and verse 6, it says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And so we saw, when we looked at Genesis chapter 1, we saw this take place, God dividing the waters into two, the waters above the firmament and the waters below the firmament. Of course, the firmament there is referring to the atmosphere. That's the water above the atmosphere and the water below. The water above the atmosphere is that canopy, that vapor canopy there, protecting the earth from the, the harmful rays of space. It was that canopy which maintained the perfect living conditions on the earth, the greenhouse effect, if you like. And it meant that it's perfect all, all year round, all upon the earth. 
There's no air movement, so there's no rain, there's no storms. It's perfect upon the earth. And then the waters below the firmament, we're told they're gathered together into one place. Okay, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And so we have this, that the waters below gathered into one place. Now it's visible on the surface of the earth as seas and rivers flowing into those seas. You know, since there's no rain upon the earth to produce runoff to feed these rivers, these rivers are not being fed by rain, are they? Okay, these rivers are fed by fountains or springs from under the earth. And they come from these great reservoirs of water. There's reservoirs of water under the earth's surface, under the crust. And these reservoirs of water are all interconnected with one another. That's why it says it's one body of water. They're all interconnected, as well as the seas, into which these rivers are draining, so that it can be said to be gathered together into one place. And it's called in Genesis chapter 7, the deep, the waters of the deep are broken up. So these are the two sources of water for the flood. You've got the water above the firmament and the water below. And in verse 11, we're told that the flood begins with the waters below. Verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And so it seems to begin on the earth, first of all, with the earth being broken up and the waters below being released. If you like, the waters below the earth's surface, the the earth's crust here, are all released. Those reservoirs are let loose upon the surface of the earth. They're not contained anymore. God's been containing them. Now they're all released at once. They burst forth. You know, picture what this would have been like upon the earth. You, You get the picture here of great earthquakes taking place and the earth splitting open to allow this water to come forth. You get the picture of volcanic eruptions as well taking place you know because along with those earthquakes that's what takes place you've got volcanic eruptions you've got explosions upon the earth magma probably me mixed with the water as well it would not have been a nice time on the earth would it as all this is taking place the earth is going through a great upheaval here everything is being wiped out okay that's the whole point here everything's being reset if you like as god releases the water below And at the same time, God then condenses the water above. He brings the waters which he put up there above the firmament, God brings them all back down to earth. As it says there in verse 11, the windows of heaven are open. That great water canopy, which is vapor canopy up there, is now brought back to the earth to rejoin the waters below. Basically, it's a bit like before God divided them, isn't it? God brings it all back to what it was. Morris writes this, he says, The phrase windows of heaven is very graphic. Many translators rendering it by floodgates. It is intended to convey the idea of great quantities of water formerly restrained in the sky, suddenly released to deluge the earth. The downpour continued at full intensity for 40 days and 40 nights. And that's the picture here. It's not as if, you know, you know, it rained heavy for a bit, and then it was light, and then it was heavy again. No, for 40 days and 40 nights, it's torrential rain as God releases all of this water. 
And with these two bodies of water brought back together, there's more than enough water to cover the whole planet. There's more than enough to cover the earth in judgment from God. Now, verse 17 to 20 uh, gives us, the, if, if you like, the extent of the flood. Okay, verse 17, it says, And the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased, and bare up the ark, and it was lifted, sorry, it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. Here we see the extent of the flood. We're told that all the mountains are covered by the flood, and the waters exceed the mountains by fifteen cubits, or 6.7 meters, going by the measurement we looked at last week. 6.7 meters above the tallest mountain. Again, this is not a localized flood. This is a world-destroying flood. Every corner of the earth is covered. There's nowhere left to run. Verse 21 to 23 describes for us the extent of destruction that's brought by the flood. It says in verse 21, And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping things, and the fowl of heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive. And they that were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. We're told here in these verses the destruction brought by the flood was complete. In verse 23 in particular, it says, Every living substance was destroyed. Now, the Hebrew words there literally mean all existence, or all that grows up was destroyed. Morris, on those words, writes this. He says, This concept does not limit itself merely to everything with the breath of life, but seems to include plants as well as animals. The ground was to be so inundated and devastated as to be made utterly barren of vegetation. The lush forests and meadows of the pre-flood world were all uprooted, washed away, and finally either buried in the sediments or else just decay and go back to the dust. You see, the point is, this is a world-destroying flood. The the world that Noah and his family knew when they entered in is not the world they saw when they came back out. It's totally changed. What we know today is not what the earth looked like before the flood. There is a total uh, changing of the landscape. The earth is completely changed by the flood. Everything, everything is wiped out. Every living substance is destroyed by this judgment. Everything's wiped out, and that includes all who didn't enter the ark. And verse 23 makes it very clear, doesn't it? At the end of verse 23, there it says, And they were destroyed from, uh, from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. Only Noah and his family who entered in by faith, only they were saved alive, those eight souls. No one else escaped the judgments. But those who entered in by faith, into the ark. You know, likewise, the day of God's judgment for this world is 
fast approaching and only those who are safe in Christ will escape. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to escape the judgments. Without Christ, man is lost. Man is destined to spend eternity separated from Him in the lake of fire. The day is coming when man will stand before God. And those who have not trusted in Christ will suffer the judgment. Let's just go finally this evening to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. Again, I'm sure most of us know these verses, but Revelation 20 and verse 11. Revelation 20 verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those books, uh, sorry, out of those things which were written in, those bo- in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, only those who place their faith and trust in Christ will escape that judgment. There is only one way. And that's through faith in Him. You know, for those of us who are saved this evening, let's remember that we are in the last days. Time is running out. And indeed, as we look at the world today, it looks like we're getting closer to Christ's return, doesn't it? With all the upheaval, all the things happening, time is fast running out. And like Noah, we need to use these days wisely to prepare ourselves, to make ready, but most of all, seek opportunities. Seek opportunities to tell others before it is eternally too late so that they too might enter in by faith and escape the judgment to come. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. Lord, we thank you that as we look at the Old Testament, we look at the uh, Noah's flood, we can see, Lord, pictures of, of things to come. We can see pictures, Lord, of uh, the judgment that you will bring upon the earth. And Lord, that day is fast approaching. And Lord, may you help us to understand there is only one way to escape that judgment, that's faith in Christ. And Lord, may you help us as we near that day to tell others to be bold in proclaiming the gospel before it is eternally too late, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.